Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12. This morning, we recognize that we owe all to him. There is no doubt for what Christ Jesus did for us. He did something we could never do for ourselves. And we owe it all to him. Now, that doesn't mean we try to pay him back because we never could. We never could try to pay him back for what he has done for us. But recognizing what he has done, we also see how we are transformed to be different. We are transformed to serve. And hopefully and prayerfully this day, we'll not only celebrate the salvation that we've been given, but we will allow that salvation to compel us, to constrain us, to make a difference, to offer ourselves before him and to serve as he gives us that opportunity. What a tremendous blessing he has given us that we can serve him. Romans chapter 12. This passage begins a shift for Paul in this letter. Over the last few weeks, we've talked some about different passages from the book of Romans. And I haven't covered every one. You've noted that. There are some other wonderful passages that I could have covered. I could have said a whole lot more about some of those passages. Amen. You know I could have, right? You f are fearful that I could have and that we could have been here forever. But I felt like we needed to go ahead and make this transition. In the first 11 chapters... The first 11 chapters, Paul basically gives us a foundation of our faith. And it is a sure foundation. I mean, he has reminded us of the gospel. And he has fleshed it out for us so that we can understand it. And that is what we stand upon. We as a church, we as a people, basically our confession should be Romans 1 through 11. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And once we have that foundation under us then we can move, we can make a difference for the kingdom. And that's what Paul basically does. He, he's made his argument about the gospel, about how we all have fallen short of the glory of God, how Jesus Christ came and made the eternal difference for us through the cross and through the resurrection, that we are drawn to him, that the Holy Spirit works in our lives, and that if we confess that he is Lord, if we believe in our heart, then we know that we can have salvation in our lives. That's what Paul has said. And now he comes to this 12th chapter. And he says to those who are believers, he says, I beseech you therefore. Notice that therefore. As the old professors used to say, if you see that word therefore, you need to ask yourself the question, what is it therefore? It is there to make this shift, to remind us of all that he has said, all about the gospel itself. He says, now, after that foundation has been laid, I want to encourage you. He uses that word there, I beseech, or encourage. He uses the same word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit's ministry, the idea of coming alongside. Paul says, I want to come alongside of you and encourage you now in your walk in your service to Christ. And notice particularly how he frames this. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable 
service. So he says, I encourage you to come and to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Basically what Paul says is that we need to set apart. We need to set our lives apart for the kingdom. We need to set our lives apart for Christ Jesus. He says this is a distinctive moment that you can have in your life and in your church's life. You can set yourself apart. I, he says present your bodies as living sacrifices. He wants us to come before the God of heaven and present ourselves before him as a sacrifice. Now, when we look at this passage and we think about presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, we know that he is calling upon us to make a decision. He's wanting us to make a decisive decision. Can you make a decisive decision? A decisive decision in our lives before Christ. Well, he uses this Old Testament imagery of coming and bringing a sacrifice. I mean, in the Old Testament, they would have understood that you come to God, you offer him a sacrifice. The word present here also talks about how you would bring things, maybe some offerings to God, and you would give them to God. The worshiper would make a decision to come before God's presence and to offer him such things. So when we think about presenting ourselves, setting ourselves apart for Christ, it requires a decision. Do you know how difficult it is to make a decision sometimes? Maybe not for you. Some of you may be some of the most decisive people that have ever lived. I doubt it, but maybe some of you are. We can be so in decisive. You will see that indecision today. Some of you will. Some of you who will come to this service, obviously you're here. Then you'll go to Sunday school. You're all going to Bible study, right? Better be a better amen or this is going to be a long sermon. You're going to Bible study. And then you're going to go and find you a restaurant somewhere. Are you going to go eat with some? Maybe, but a lot of you are probably going to go out. So I know a few of you may have it already on the agenda. You may know exactly where you're going. But many of you will get in the car. You'll get all the kids situated. And you'll look at one another and say something like this. Where do you want to go? <laughs> and all of the spiritual work that you have done here this morning <laughs> will all of a sudden come unraveled. Your spiritual growth will take a step back as you try to decide where you are going. Such a simple decision, but one that has totally torn families apart and relationships. When Leslie and I were dating, we had a third wheel with us most of the time, which was good. Leslie's best friend and was a dear friend of mine. She went with us everywhere we went for the first six months or so that we were dating. And I would ask the question, where do you all want to go eat? You know what they'd say? I don't care. I don't care. Okay. Well, let's go so-and-so. Uh, okay. 
I'd be fine. Uh, well, I tell you what, let's go to this place. And you know, this continued on and on and on. And finally, there was one place that I knew our, this friend of ours loved to eat. So that's just where we went. For the first six months, we ate at the same place every time. You think I'm kidding? I am not. Now in my family's life, if somebody can't decide, we just go to McDonald's. McDonald's is just as good with me as anything else. Just go to McDonald's. We are indecisive people. But my friends, we have to make some decisions in life. And when Christ Jesus has done a work in our lives, when we've come before him and we've said we're going to follow him, that we want to be a part of his kingdom, when we've accepted the salvation that he has given us, that he alone could give us, then somewhere along the line, we've got to decide, yes, we're, also, we're offering ourselves to him. We want to be his sacrifice. The sacrifice was dedicated to God. And the sacrifice was consumed by God. If you look at the Old Testament again and how Paul is using that imagery here to address believers, it's the idea that a sacrifice would not only be dedicated to God, but it would be totally consumed by God. And in our lives and who we are, we dedicate our bodies, we dedicate ourselves to Him, we set ourselves apart, and we also allow Him to consume us. Totally consume who we are. It's basically this theme that I've been preaching, speaking about the last few weeks. That God wants all of us. He doesn't just want part. We don't come with our sacrifice and say, God, here, you can have this part of us as a sacrifice. God doesn't want just the partial sacrifice. He wants all of us. And when we dedicate ourselves to him, when we are consumed by his presence in our lives, then what we recognize is that every decision we make about these bodies are filtered through the kingdom perspective, filtered through Christ's control and authority. In other words, where I go is dictated by Christ Jesus because I'm his sacrifice. I'm consumed by him. How I spend my time is dictated by the work of Christ Jesus. How I conduct myself daily is somehow directed by Christ and his work in my life. All those things. If God consumes us, if we are dedicating all to him, if we are his sacrifice, then that means he has full control over us. And that's what we do is we come with this decisive moment in our lives and we say, God, we want to be your sacrifice. And then notice again some of the descriptions of the sacrifice. It says, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Living, holy, acceptable or well-pleasing. A living sacrifice. So that means it's not just one decision, but it is an ongoing decision. You are a living sacrifice. There has to be an ongoing work where you surrender yourself and submit yourself to Christ Jesus. 
I'll never forget when I was growing up and I heard a preacher preach on this passage. And he said something like this. He said, you know what the problem is with a living sacrifice? A living sacrifice keeps crawling off the altar. And I had to stop and think, what did he just say? You know, sometimes you do that with me and then you just dismiss me probably. But I was just, what did he say? A living sacrifice. The problem with a living sacrifice is that it crawls off the altar. I mean, if you, if you have a dead sacrifice that's there, I mean, it's not going anywhere. It's going to stay on the altar. It's going to, but a living sacrifice. And that spoke to me as a young individual. It reminded me that we have an ongoing, an ongoing responsibility to offer ourselves before Christ Jesus. Because you know what happens so often is we crawl off the altar. We come to him. We may even come to him on a Sunday morning and say, God, we offer it all. We, give, we place ourselves upon the altar right now. But then tomorrow morning, we crawl off the altar as we go to work, as we do our different type of business. And we forget that God wants us dedicated and consumed by him 24-7. It is an ongoing responsibility that we have. It doesn't mean that we're getting saved again. We're saved one time. And what a glorious moment to know that we have life in Jesus Christ because we placed our faith there. We have that one moment. But we recognize that every day God has called us to constantly surrender to Him, to His will, to His work, to offer ourselves, to present ourselves as living sacrifices. That it is an ongoing decision that we make in our lives. To present ourselves holy, again, different, set apart, removed from any type of impurity, that we come before Him and offer ourselves well-pleasing, or as here the New King James says, acceptable to God. God took delight in His people's sacrifices as they came to Him with pure hearts and lives, as they came to Him sold out and representing that type of attitude in life as they came to him with their sacrifices he delighted in those sacrifices so now here we are coming as a sacrifice to delight god i love that image of god a god who delights in his people a god who will smile upon his people so many people today they they try to paint god in such a different picture i mean as though he is a tyrant ruling the universe and that he is so disconnected from his people and he has no idea what's going i mean he is painted in such a terrible light and yet the god i serve he wants to delight in his people. 
He wants to be involved in their lives. He wants to know his people. He wants to relate to his people. Our God wants to smile. A few years ago, I was at the Mississippi Baptist Evangelism Conference in Jackson. And I had a pastor that was preaching. And he was actually from Louisiana. I was surprised he could preach. But I was... And he was preaching a wonderful message. And he gave out, he gave out some very simple stickers. You've seen them. Those stickers that just have smiley faces. Just a smiley face sticker. And he gave it out to us. And he asked us to put it inside our Bible. And at that point, I was using a different one. And I stuck it inside that Bible that I was using at the time. And... Every time I would open it, in the front page or so, I would see a smiley face. And it would remind me. It would remind me, one, God wanted to smile. And two, if I came before him and offered myself in such a way, I could make him smile. And to know that the God of the universe would delight In his child, many of us, we've enjoyed seeing our parents smile when certain things happened in our lives, accomplishments, achievements. It meant something to us to see our dad or our mother just smile with a sense of approval. And here, what Paul says is that you come before him and you offer him this sacrifice, the sacrifice of yourself. You don't have to, just yourself. You offer it to him. And you recognize that that in and of itself can delight God. What a tremendous truth. What a tremendous picture. And what a tremendous challenge for us to be able to come and say, God, we want to make you smile. We pray. We pray collectively as a church, as a people, that we would make you smile. We pray as individuals offering ourselves before you that we would make you smile. We pray that you would delight in us because we have dedicated, because we've allowed you to consume us, who we are as sacrifices. Well, in verse 1, he says you set apart. You set apart your lives. In verse 2, he says that you ought to stand out. Stand out. Do not be conformed to this world, he said, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. You ought to stand out in who you are. Now, it could take the rest of this time together next week and the next and the next to try to unpack all of this. But just hear the simple truth. The simple truth is Paul says you ought to be different. You ought to stand out. You ought not to look like everybody else. Now that you've been transformed, now that you have had the gospel impact your life, you should be different. He says do not be conformed to this world. The original language there speaks about accepting a certain pattern or accepting, accepting a mold for your life. 
In other words, you don't allow your life to be molded or conformed to the world itself, the world's influences. Now, we recognize every day, we recognize every day that we live in the world. But hopefully we also recognize we are not of the world. That's the truth of Scripture. We live in it, but we should not find our source. We should not find our strength. We should not find our wisdom in the world. And that's what he says. He says, don't be conformed. I mean, it is so difficult not to conform, right? We see what the world is doing all around us. It's no different, though. The world has always been trying to manipulate the church's ideas and doctrines. Always trying to manipulate the church's behaviors and dictate what the church should do. The world's always been it. The world's always tried to influence the church. This is not a new day in the church's life. We may sense it in a more pronounced way. But Satan and his authorities have always tried to influence the church. They would love to bring the church into, in line with their thinking. And Paul warned this about this. Again... We just only look around us and we see how the church itself continues to conform to the world. It's kind of like the world pours us into its mold and we come out looking just like them. We see it always. And it's amazing how you see them trying to influence us. I recognize this now. But when I was growing up, in the 80s, I guess, which some of you think that's not that long ago, but now it's starting to get to me a little bit. It's a while back. Wait till I preach this in the gathering. Some of those college students are like, God. I digress a moment, but I did a wedding yesterday. I had some brown shoes on. The groom looked at me and he said, oh, those are nice shoes, brown shoes. I said, yeah, I like them. He said, yeah. He said, he said, I guess you have to be over 30 to at least wear those things because I can't wear those things, but I'll get older one day and I'll... <laughs> I was in not best spiritual humor when I did that wedding yesterday. I'm going to tell you that. But I remember growing up and I was watching some sitcoms back then. Probably shouldn't have been watching some of them, but I was watching a lot of the sitcoms that were on uh, must-see TV on Thursday night in particular. I would watch the sitcoms. I, it doesn't shock you because you heard me admit a few weeks ago I watched Days of Our Lives. I can't get any worse than that, all right? But, <laughs> and now, after all these years, though, I think about how I laughed and thought about certain things. But now I go back to certain episodes and I see the clear agenda that was in those sitcom episodes trying to convince me that certain things were right. Trying to convince me that I, try, I should accept certain things as okay. I see that now. 
Now, I was a young boy, but yet the world was trying to influence me. And now as we look around us and we see all the media and different things, we should recognize the world is trying to influence us. And unfortunately, it is having a pretty good impact. Well, a negative impact for us, but it is being successful in its agenda. So many now, so many are conforming. Let me say this to you. Today, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ looks a whole lot different than it did 50 years ago. And that is not because Jesus Christ has changed. Now, listen to me. I don't have a problem with change. I like air conditioning. I'm proud we brought air conditioning into the church. I don't have a problem with change. What I have a problem with is changing what God has said is right and what God has said is wrong into and reversing those into total distortions of God's truth. Listen to me. When we talk about conforming to the world, we should not have the little discussions, well, yeah, look at what our music looks like and look what we're... Those are so little arguments. Do you realize that our culture is is embracing hell itself and we're sitting around talking about these small things like this? What I'm more concerned about is not what we just seen, but what is coming out of the pulpit of major denominations today. Now they are blessing things that God has called abominations. Where is the outrage for that? What I'm most concerned about is when churches... Let out their door, let people out their doors, and people walk out and they live just like the world. I'm more concerned about that than I am just what we're singing on Sunday morning. I'm concerned about the holiness of God's people, where they are not conforming to the world, but listen to this they are being transformed by the renewing of their minds. That word transforming, it is something like metamorphosis. If you were to trace the Greek word down, it it basically is the word that gives us metamorphosis. Think about that, the metamorphosis, the change that occurs in the life cycle of this butterfly or moth or whatever you want to call it, where it turns into something totally different. What God says is that when we come to his presence and we offer ourselves we should be transformed. We should be changed. We ought to think differently. We ought to act differently. You've heard me say this, but I'm going to say it again because this is good stuff, all right? Just... We should never expect unbelievers to act like believers. Some of us are running around like the sky is falling because all of a sudden, we don't understand why certain people are acting the way they do. Folks, unbelievers will never act like believers until they come to a, a changing encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't pray for them to act like believers before they come to know Christ Jesus. That is one of the reasons we've got to be out there sharing the gospel every day. That's the only thing that will change people's perspectives and lives. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't 
Expect unbelievers to act like believers. But listen, listen, this is the caveat. We should expect believers to act like believers. Whoa, there's silence. In other words, if you have confessed the Lord Jesus Christ, there should be an expectation in your life that you're different. That you think differently. That you act differently. Now, you're not superior. Look in verse 3. He says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. I'm not trying to promote arrogance. We recognize that we are children of God, and we praise Him for that, and we walk through life as His children, but we walk in a humble way. We walk in a different way. We ought to stand out. We ought to stand out. One of the reasons the church is so anemic today is because we don't stand out anymore. We don't look different. We've conformed. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a passive verb, by the way. I see you got real excited about that one. <laughs> a passive verb means that you don't do a whole lot about it. But you're the recipient of that renewal of your mind. In other words, God's the one that's renewing your mind. So when you turn to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, you're not looking for your source, your strength, your wisdom. You're not looking for that in the world. You're rather looking for that in God, that he would renew you and refresh you, that he would be the one to do a work in your life. To be transformed. He says you ought to set apart. You ought to stand out. And then what does he say? He says you ought to step up. You ought to step up. Man, this one I could preach on all day long. But verse 4 it says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, our ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who watches or teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. He basically says that we need to recognize that we are members of this body called the church he said we're members of this and when we recognize that we recognize the different gifts that we have i don't have time to go into every one of these gifts maybe at another time we'll come back and look at these look at the ones in first corinthians 12 4 through 11 look at those in ephesians 4 11 look at those in first peter 4 11 we'll look at the different gifts maybe one day but don't get so bogged down on the gift itself that you miss what Paul is saying. here. Paul is saying that we all have gifts and we've all come together in one body to serve. Whatever you have as a gift in your life, he says, serve. He says, step up. 
Step up to the plate. God has gifted you. He has given you something. He has transformed you. He has changed you. Now he wants to use you. Take whatever it is that God's given you and use it for his glory. Use it for the church's good. He says, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Step up to the plate. There are so many ways that we can identify our spiritual gifts. Again, that's for a different day, a different time. So many ways that we may try to identify our gifts. But friends, God never called us to sit on the sidelines while we tried to determine what gift we're supposed to have. God's never said, now you just sit over in the corner and when you finally get this great revelation of what your gift is, then you get in the game. No. The way God reveals his gift in your life is by your getting up and serving as God gives you the opportunity. He's not called any of us to be sideline Christians. He's called all of us to step up to the plate, to be in the game. So listen again. We're set apart our lives. We are offer ourselves as sacrifices. We're to stand out as a people. And we're to step up within the local church to find ways to minister and to declare his good news to the community and beyond. We are transformed to serve. I hope that you'd hear that message today. And I pray that God would allow his spirit to convict and to challenge all of us in this place. That we would come and we would be the people that would offer ourselves to him. To be consumed, to be dedicated as we follow him each and every day. Let's pray together. Father, I do come to you and I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself today, Lord. And Lord, we all acknowledge in this place, including this preacher, we all acknowledge the world's influences upon us. We recognize, Lord, how so many things come at us every day trying to mold us into its image. But God, I pray today, I do pray today that we as believers would set ourselves apart. Lord, we would come before you. And Lord, we would offer ourselves, all of ourselves to you. And Father, that we would allow you to transform our minds, renew us, God, I pray that we would just simply step up to the task that you've given us to make a difference for your kingdom. Now, Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we pray that you would just work during this moment of invitation, calling us to a commitment in you. In Jesus' name, I pray.